Matthew 7. We are beginning. It's 2024. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach till the cows hum, come home because I'm so excited to be in the pulpit. I feel like I haven't been in the pulpit. And uh, when I've been in the pulpit, I hadn't felt good. So I feel good tonight. So if I get too long, you just tell me to hush. Um, but I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm glad to begin discipleship. Our theme and our thought for 2024 is faithfully moving forward. And um, part of that is going to be biblical discipleship. The other part comes from Nehemiah chapter number 1, which we heard from this morning. And so, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll see. But uh, I thought that was amazing when I came in. <laughs> he preached out of Nehemiah 1 this morning. So, uh, anyway, tonight, on Sunday nights, Lord willing, for uh, as long as Lord sees fit, as long as the Spirit leads, we're going to look at biblical discipleship and explaining what that means and learning what that means and, and, and growing in our walk with Christ. And so we start here with the basics. You've got to start somewhere, amen? You've got to build a foundation. You don't put a roof on a house without a foundation, right? You've got to have walls and the foundation. You've got to have uh, all these other things. All you builders know way better than me. Um, I, I, I think that sometimes we, we want the roof before we build, lay the groundwork. I hope in a year's time, six months' time, eight months' time, we're looking at Baptist distinctives, something that sticks out to me about biblical discipleship and learning and growing in our grace and knowledge of Christ is how much I realize, no, I'm not saying a bad thing about my parents, my grandparents, my pastors, but how much I was not taught because the people before me were not taught because we were relying on what grandma and grandpa did. That's just being as honest as I could be. That's no, I had good pastors, I have wonderful parents, I have wonderful grandparents, but a lot of the times... Why do we use the King James Bible? Or, or why are we Baptists? Well, that's, that's because it's God's Word. A amen. But, I mean, when someone asks me that at school that doesn't go to a Baptist church or doesn't use the King James Bible, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to stand up and give your side of what you believe if you don't know how or where to go to defend yourself. And then what happens, and what happened to me, is I started to doubt what I believed because I couldn't go find it in the Bible. Not because it wasn't there, but because I didn't know where to find it. So I hope in eight months or a year we're looking at the Baptist distinctives, the acrostic Baptist, biblical authority, autonomy of the church, the priesthood of the believers, the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, individual soul liberty, saved church membership, Two offices of pastor and deacon. Separation of church and state. I hope we can dive week by week through those things. But we've got to start foundationally at discipleship, the walk with Christ. The work, that saying or that thought, discipleship, is the process of training people incrementally in some discipline or way of life. You, you, you go into a job, a new job, and you... You don't know how to do that new job the first day, right? I mean, I didn't walk in the door and become a, a banker the first day that I went and worked at the bank. I, I, I was, was in, the, in the diesel mechanics field. You don't walk into a shop and start tearing an engine down on day one. It takes time. You're going you're gonna to start in a, in, on the lube rack. You're going to be changing oil before they're going to trust you uh, to, to replace an engine. So 
we know as Christians that there is an incremental, step-by-step growth, climbing, climbing the ladder, that we'll never get to the top of. That's the thing. We know that I, will, I, I have not got to the point, because I'm a pastor, I've not got to the point that I don't need any more discipleship, that I don't need to learn any more about Jesus, or I, I don't need to grow any more like Jesus because I'm, I'm like him. I'm, I'm where I need to be. Uh, and, and, and so I, if we're not careful, what we'll do is we will start thinking that our ideas supersede Scripture. Because when we get to the point where we think that we've arrived to some position or that we're in need of no more growth, we get to that point and we will start to think that my ideas of what's right and what's wrong, my ideas of what Scripture says are right or wrong. And we'll never question, we'll never go back to Scripture and try to determine, is this what the Bible says about any number of subjects? So the idea of discipleship is that we step by step, incrementally, we climb this ladder together, learning stuff like eternal security. Why do we believe we can't lose our salvation? Where does it say this in the Bible? That helps to know, right? We, I, mean, I think we would, we would say that we believe that, right? I believe it. But, but I've had people come and say, Josh, why do you believe that? And I'm like, you don't want to hear me tell you, Mom, because Mom and Daddy told me, right? They don't want to hear it. And, and, and you realize how foolish you are to say that. I think the Lord now can find Scripture and can say, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I believe in eternal security. Baptism. There's people that believe in, in infant baptism. There's people that have different, we're not going to dig all this up tonight, but there's people that believe in different interpretations of infant baptism. There's people that believe baptism saves you and sends you to heaven. There was many, many years I spent as a Christian, and I couldn't take you to the Word of God, and explain why I believe in full immersion baptism for someone who has been saved and accepted Christ and that it doesn't send you to heaven. It's just you following an ordinance, showing and identifying yourself with Christ. I, for many years, could not explain or tell you scripturally why I believe that. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know either, I am so glad you're here because we're going to learn together. And maybe you're saying, well, I know all this stuff. Well, thank the Lord. You've been discipled. Somebody's discipled you. Hey, there's some of these things you're going to know. There's some of these messages you're going to hear uh, over the next however long. You're going to know it. Tonight, some of you, you're, you're seasoned to a point. You're, I love seasoned food, amen? I like when the Bible talks about seasoning. Uh, I, I, we went to Bojangles this morning. You know what I say every time I go through the line at Bojangles? Seasoned fries. Seasoned fries. You know why my favorite Bojangles in the whole United States of America is on Merriman Avenue? Those little black ladies working in there, they know how to season stuff. When I pull up to the window and there's white people working at Bojangles, you're going to get a soggy, unseasoned fry. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. My little ladies over at Merriman Avenue, they know that I like seasoned fries. And so it's our responsibility as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You know what that is? We're seasoned. We're seasoned. I, I, we're, we're not just a floppy, unseasoned, cold fry anymore. 
We are toasty and brown and seasoned, praise the Lord. And I know that's simple and that's country preaching, but y'all are Mountain View. You like country preaching. Seasoned. Growing. I don't want to be the same that I was September 11, 2003. I want today somebody to get around me. Brother Gary was talking about this morning about getting around somebody that just refreshes you. I want to be somebody that when people get around me, they're refreshed by me. They're excited by me. You know how to get there? Do you know how to be that person? It takes time. It takes seasoning. It takes discipleship. It takes growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It, it, it means that you're becoming more like him day in and day out and day in and day out. And you wake up and, and like Paul, you die daily. I am, I am sacrificing myself. I'm laying myself down as a living sacrifice. Lord, show me and guide me and use me and make me more like you. That's what seasoning is. I mean, just all over it. But so many Christians, there's, they're, they're, they're unappetizing because they don't daily seek seasoning in their life. They don't daily say, Lord, I need to walk with you and I need you to show me how to be more like you. I need you to identify uh, the things in my life that I need to get rid of. I need you to show me where I've gone wrong. I need you to show me where I've made mistakes. I need you to identify in me the wicked things that I need to get rid of. That's what a disciple does. Do I do that every day? No way. I wish I did, but I'm striving to. And that's the key, is realizing there's days you're going to get up and you ain't going to think the first thing about, Lord, make me a disciple. Lord, grow me to you. Lord, Lord get rid of the wickedness in my life. There's days it ain't going to happen. But man, how sweet it is. How wonderful and how savory it is when we wake up and we seek Christ first and foremost. Lord, I'm looking for you. I want to be seasoned. I want to be someone that when people are around me, when, I, when I'm connected with people and people think of me, that they think, man, there's something different about him. I'll go, I'll go get around him because all these other people, they, man, they just, their spirit's just sour. They're cold and they're dead and they're dry and they're unseasoned. I want people to think of me and think of someone that's a disciple. So we look tonight first in Matthew 7. I've already told my good jokes, so we're just going to get into it. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Thinking on this, this scripture, my mind is taken to verse number 20. It says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Any kind of tree, bush, shrub, whatever produces fruit. Now, whether it's edible to us or not, it produces, it produces something. And there's good and there's bad. There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. Now, this tells me that, verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So, a bad, those without Christ, essentially a bad tree, there's no way that tree can bring forth something edible, palatable, something, something good. There, there's, there's no way. Because everything is done in vain because it's done in, its, in themselves. And, and, and then the good tree, it doesn't bring forth evil fruit because it's rooted and grounded in something and someone greater than itself. And so therefore, it won't bring forth evil fruit. But the thing about a good tree is it's either going to bring forth good fruit or it's not going to bring forth anything. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people that aren't bringing anything because they, in their walk and their path of discipleship and becoming more like Christ, it's non-existent. As Brother Gary said this morning, they're enjoying the joy of their salvation, but that's it. They don't go any further or anywhere past being saved. And what a sad Christian life that is. And I tell you that from experience because for years I lived that Christian life. But I didn't have anyone come beside me and try to teach me and try to show me and try to grow me in certain areas until I was a little older. And then you start realizing, man, there's something to this. There's, there's riches and treasure so much deeper in my relationship with Christ than my salvation. Obviously, it's needed. Obviously, it's a necessity. But it's just the beginning of my joy in Christ. And you begin to enjoy the fruits and the goodness of God, and you see how he brings you through hard times. And we hear testimonies of, uh, of Dawson come up here and tell of how God moves and what God does and how God touches and how God blesses. And we see young people get saved, and we see old people get saved, and we see people recommit themselves to Christ. And you realize, man, there is so much fruit on this tree, I ain't got a basket big enough. And your salvation, which is a great blessing, and it's a requirement to get into heaven, it's a requirement to experience joy in the goodness of God, is just the genesis of God's greatness and God's goodness and the richness of his mercy and the richness of his love. And it's just the beginning. And you see these saints of God, they've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, 60 years. And, I mean, they're just... The honey, the sweetness is just oozing. I get around my little grandma and I'm like, man. But there's been a life and a walk and a dedication with Christ that each day and each hardship and each difficulty and each storm, there's discipleship, growing closer to him, leaning on him, looking to him. Brother Donnie and Judy, you've told me your testimony. And you've told me about a time in your life where you had to completely turn to him. You had to completely lay everything on him. And you had to completely look to him and everything. 
What does your Christian walk look like after that versus before that? How much richer and how much sweeter? Brother Scotty, you've told the testimony of how you've spent uh, so much time laid up, not being able to do anything for yourself, not being able to take care of yourself, uh, uh, sick and hurt and afflicted. How much richer and how much sweeter is your relationship with Christ since then? How much more did you learn to lean on him? And, and I say that because I've seen the joy and the happiness in your testimony. I didn't know you before that. I've known you that long. But I have seen the joy in how God brought you through a hard time and how much richer your relationship gets with him. And Christian, you may be looking at people and you say, I don't have that. I haven't experienced that. I went through this or I went through that, but I've never, never experienced that. It's difficult because I go through things and sometimes I experience things and I, I'm, why is this happening to me? You heard me complain Wednesday night. I ain't going to complain again about all that just happened in the past month and a half. I walked down kicking myself, kicking my can down the road. All the bad things happening to me. But you know, it's when I say, Lord, you take this hardship and this hard time and you turn this into something good, and Lord, you break me down as low as you need to take me. Because when I grow back up, when I spring back up, I want to spring back up in you. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes the change. But it takes spiritual maturity. It takes supplication. It, it, it takes dedication and sanctification for us to be able to choose to say, Lord, I, hey, I'm not happy, but use this to grow me. It takes time to get to that point. I look back now at all the things I look and think, man, God could have used that for glory in my life, but I was so busy, angry at something or somebody or some situation that he couldn't use it in my life. Discipleship. Growing to be more like Christ. Each and every situation, each and every circumstance, each and every tragedy is giving that and laying at his feet and saying, Lord, take this and grow me from this. Use this to strengthen me. Wish Katie was here. Me and Katie. Say, Katie, the hard times define us and make us who we are. She said, Amen. She will when she comes back. She'll say, Amen. Amen. They do. They define us. And so many people, the, the idea and mindset of society today is that everybody needs to feel bad for me for all the bad things going on. But it's when we can say, this makes me who I am. This strengthens me. This makes me more resilient. This makes me a stronger Christian. This draws me closer to Christ. And, and people will tell you, I was mad at him. I was angry with him. But man, he turned that into the greatest lesson I've ever learned. How do we get there? Well, our walk with Christ and our discipleship, I want to be that way, amen? Would you say you want to be that way with your situations? I want someone to look at me and say, man, Josh told me about a hard time and how God used it and how God grew him and how God strengthened him. I want that. Why do we get there? We have to identify legitimate discipleship in our life and false discipleship in our life. The facts of discipleship, first and foremost, it discipleship will not take place without relationship. You cannot be discipled by Christ if you don't know Christ. 
There are a lot of people that want to be disciples, but they're not saved and they're not redeemed and they're not born again and they can't be disciples. They say they are. They sound like they are. They act like they are. But we cannot be unless we is. You've got to be in to know and understand what discipleship means. It all sounds like mumbo-jumbo until you've accepted Christ. Meaning, growing to be more like him, learning from him, talking to the Holy Ghost, letting the Holy Ghost talk to you, spending time in prayer, spending time in supplication, letting him break your will down, letting him break your wants and your desires down. That stuff sounds crazy if you're not a saved Christian. And when, it's a saved, when you're a saved Christian, the only way it's going to sound sane to you is when you lay it at his feet. Even as a saved Christian, we still have our own agendas. We still have our own wills. We still have our own wants. But because of the Holy Ghost making himself known to us, we realize and we know that God has his will and God has his desires and we have been given his precious word and we realize and we understand that there is a different way. But that comes through relationship. There will not be discipleship without relationship. And so the fact of discipleship starts there. Also, it's part of God's plan for a Christian. There are so many Christian people that they can take you to a day and a time. They can tell you that they know Jesus. They can tell you that they've been saved, but they have nothing beyond that. And I'm not criticizing. I'm, I've been that person preaching from experience. It's not God's plan that he stick us and gloriously plant us in wonderful, fallow ground, ready to go. He has fertilizer ready. He's got water ready. He's got rain ready. He'll weed you out. He'll take good care of you. He'll hoe the ground all around you if you'll let him. And we just sit there and we never grow. Last year, this past, well, yeah, last year now, I planted... I got in trouble. Planted 42 cabbages. Good thing I like cabbage. Planted 42 cabbages. And, and, you know, it's wonderful. You see these the cabbages, to me, the most beautiful uh, vegetable, the way they grow. I just, I love it. But they grow and they, they spring up, three or four leaves, and then inside of that, three or four more leaves, and they just, leaves keep springing up inside of each other until what comes out? A head of cabbage. You see this little tiny, this is thick. This isn't three or four little little leaves. This is, this is something. And it grows. And before you know it, my whole family's standing there looking at me like, what are we going to do? I'm going to take it to church on Wednesday night. It's what I'm going to do. Steve and Annabelle are going to be happy with it. It's all the people I'm using tonight didn't get to be here. But hey, I'm going to take it to church. But before you know it, you got 42 cabbages out there in the garden. What a blessing. How disappointing. I, I, I think about when every time we get the garden in the ground, going out there and you see progress. You see a tomato plant, bigger and bigger and bigger. I told Scotty about some fertilizer, brought him some fertilizer. He put it on his tomatoes. He come on Wednesday night. He said, man, them things is growing. They're growing. I'm going to have to tie them up. 
What a blessing that is to see God's creation do God's thing. It's just wonderful. But how disappointing it is to sow a seed and you see it spring up and never grow. I planted some, I started some cabbage. I was going to try to do some fall cabbage, winter cabbage, and I was too late, Brother Sam. And out there right now in my garden, there's cabbage about six inches tall, and it hasn't grown in months. It got too cold, and it hasn't grown at all. And I go to the garden, and rather than seeing growth, rather than having bounty, I've got some plants out there that ain't growing. You see, I believe when God looks down at this garden that he's planted us in, there's some, man, they're producing. They're growing. Every time he goes there, there's fruit falling off. There's fruit ready to be picked. There's, there, there, there's fruit ready to go. There's fruit ready to be taken and shared with somebody else. But there's some Christian people, they're not bearing good fruit. They can't bear evil fruit, but they're bearing no fruit. They're doing no more. They're just about yay high, and they haven't grown in years. You see, you may find yourself during this time looking back and thinking about, man, that's me. It's been me, I promise. I realized that it didn't please God when that was me. I wasn't pleasing God. I was actually doing the opposite. I'd rather you be hot or cold. I was just lukewarm. Clean my life up. I wasn't sinning like I used to sin. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. And I'd bargain with myself. Well, Lord, I ain't doing this. I ain't, doing, I ain't done that in months. I ain't done that in years. I, But I was lukewarm. Nothing stirred me anymore. Nothing excited me anymore. I'd hear testimonies of people being saved. I'd be in services where people would come to the altar and be saved. And I couldn't even muster up a tear. Just lukewarm. You see, discipleship and growth, being growing more, growing, growing to be more like Christ, growing, growing closer to Christ is part of God's plan for a Christian. He doesn't put you in the ground and want you to lay dormant for a later date. Because if you're laying dormant, chances are, if it's up to you, you're never going to sprout out and grow any fruit. If you're laying dormant without you seeking God, without and, and hey, the Holy Spirit will convict you. He will deal with you. He will work on you. But you have to let your will and your desire crumble and fall so that he can use you and you can begin to grow again. He wants us to grow. He desires us to grow. He desires us to be more like him. I've got to hurry. I'm pushing for time. But it's part of God's plan for a Christian. It is the duty of church leadership and elders. Leaders, deacons, Sam, associate pastor, Sunday school teachers, church leaders. It's our duty and responsibility that we are viewable and visible as guides and leaders of discipleship. People should be able to look at me and see things in my characteristics, my personality, my attitude, my actions, my thoughts, 
my comments, my, my, all, all the things about me are not going to be perfect because I'm not perfect. But people should be able to look to me as a leader in this church and see things that draw them and point them to Christ. If not, you need to tell me to go home. Amen? That goes for all of us. People should be able to look to us. We set the standard. We set the bar. People look and they see that there are, there are honorable things in Jeremy. There are honorable things in, in, in Brother Chad. There's honorable things in me. There's honorable things in Sam. There's honorable things in Brother Josh. People should be able to look and find something. Because we need to be discipling ourselves. Growing closer to him. Looking more like him. We're getting to the point of this in just a moment. It's the duty of leadership and elders. It is structured and supported by Scripture. It's structured and it's supported by Scripture. Look at the ministry of Christ. What did he do? He brought out people's sins. He told them to get right and he told them to go and sin no more. He told them where they were wrong. He told them how, what to change. He told them to repent. And he told them to go on and don't live this way anymore. Pretty simple. It's laid out and established in Scripture. And so that brings me to the thought of where discipleship comes from and why discipleship is missed in churches today. It will not take place without relationship. It's part of God's plans for children. It's, it's, it's the duty of the church leadership and elders to be examples and leaders. It's structured and supported by Scripture. And I think a lot of the reason and a lot of the problem why it doesn't happen in churches is because people don't read their Bible. People love blaming it on the preacher. Well, I'm just not getting fed. Well, are you getting fed at home? People like to point on, well, the Sunday school teachers, it's just not like it used to be. If you're coming here full, then you can say something, amen? And like, chances are, if you're coming here full, you're probably not here to complain. You're going to get on your face and pray that something changes, something moves. Lord, help my pastor, help my Sunday school teacher, help these leaders, help these people see something, help these people change, help these people grow, help, some, help somebody. But the reason that churches are not looking more and more Christ-like is because people are not spending time in his word. How much time, for how many Christians, just, just ourselves, How many Christians, we know the dust on the Bible, right? How many Christians, the only time this Bible is opened is when the preacher's getting ready to preach? How many teachers, how many preachers, the only time this Bible is opened is when you're getting ready and preparing for a lesson or a sermon? How many times, this is going to be fun going to be real fun. I'm sorry. How many people is the only time this Bible is opened is when you're mad about something and you're trying to find what the Bible says against somebody else? Y'all act like you've done that before. I know I've done it. That's where it comes from. Discipleship comes from his word. How will you become more like Christ if you're not spending time with him and learning about his person? And then we come to church, and, man, it's just not like it used to be. People just ain't excited like they used to be. People just don't shout like they used to. People just don't sing like they used to. Preacher don't preach like they used to. And a lot of the people that complain about those things, I would almost guarantee you they don't spend time in the Word of God. 
It's structured in Scripture. Discipleship, often imitated, never replicated. I don't know where I got that from. There was an advertisement somewhere. Discipleship, often imitated, never replicated. Here's the forms of false discipleship. This is a word I don't like because I'm, I'm simple. Simple. But piety. You ever heard the word piety? Piety is, is especially in churches, work, works-based religion. Well, that man's pious. He has piety. That means you have standing with the church in their mind, in turn, standing with God because of how good of a person you are. That's false discipleship. You are no more like Christ if you're doing things thinking that you're gaining standing with God because of your works. Anything good I do is through and by the goodness and the grace of Christ that lives within me. And I can't feel any other way about it because as soon as I do, I ruin it. If I think it's about me because I'm religious or I'm a preacher or I'm this or I'm that, I got my three-piece suit and my tie. I got my Lincoln Town car. I'm a preacher as they come. Fried chicken, baby. I'm a preacher. Baptist preacher. That, that means nothing to God. He cannot accept that. It's just religious. So that's the first form of false discipleship. The second is literalism. In other words, some people in their walk with Christ, they take the Bible and they make it the, this literal document. Now, the Bible is literal. It, it's a history book. These things in the Bible literally happen. But these literal people are the type of people that handle stakes, the type of people that speak in tongues, the type of people... That, that, that do these things and they don't look into the context of what the Scripture is saying. Well, why don't we speak in tongues? Well, there were a day that it's recorded that they, there were signs, wonders, they spoke in tongues, there was healings, there was all kinds, cast out devils, all these amazing things. But the Apostle Paul tells us that those things will cease. He also ridiculed churches for relying on that instead of relying on Christ. And if someone is too literal about the Bible... They will think every single thing in the Bible that it says 110% applies to us today. The law is a schoolmaster. We can look to the law and I can, can get a guide for how to live my life from the law. But I don't live tooth and nail exactly by the law because Christ fulfilled the law. So we have to be careful about literalism. And you'll get around people and they will, man, we're, I've, heard, I've heard of people following the Jewish festivals and stuff. I ain't a Jew. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't follow that. I'm a Gentile. I can't go back and follow something that was never intended for me. Matter of fact, Christ died so that I don't have to go follow all these things. I can learn from these things. I can grow from these things. These things can benefit me. These things can help me. But I, I have no business going and following something that wasn't written for me. People get too literal in their discipleship. You have to be careful. Y'all are liking this. I might just go another 25, 30 minutes. Two more of these, and then I got one last thing, and we'll finish. Piety, literalism, legalism. This is the most ism we know, right? Because we've all been around it. Legalism. You got some people, they're proud of it. They call me a legalism, legalist. 
I love it. These are just yellow-bellied, backsliding people that they, they don't live like me. They're, they're afraid of rules. There's people with that attitude. You've heard it. Then there's some people that legalism to them, which I'll define in just a second, to them legalism is if you have any kind of rules, you're just, you've forgotten the grace of Jesus Christ because you've got rules. We have to be careful that we don't point fingers because the Bible does give us structure. The Bible does give us rules and guidelines. We've got a church covenant hanging on the wall back there that most people forget about. That gives us a guide, gives us a structure. Brother Max taught on the, uh, he was telling me, we were uh, visited, visited with him camping a while back. Brother Max King was telling me about teaching through the church covenant in Sunday school class. And he was talking about how he saw the fruit of that because they went through and, and you challenge people and, and, and you, you cover what's expected of people, what's expected of us as church members. It's okay to have expectations as long as expectations are biblical. Amen. We don't like it because we like to do what we like to do. But it's okay. It does not mean we're legalists if we're doing things biblically. But on the other end of things, you've got people. This side of the church, you bunch of legalists. You, you, you add things to the Bible. Woman wear a pair, a pair of britches, she's going to hell. Anybody ever heard that? I remember those days. And I'm young. You got a TV set in your house? You welcome the devil in every night. You watch Wheel of Fortune? You're letting him in. You ever heard this stuff? You listen to country music, you're going to hell. They ain't seen Alan Jackson in concert. You ever heard this stuff? Show me in the Bible. So this is where... Discipleship, this gives you, if you know what's in the Word of God, this gives you the authority and the knowledge to tell somebody like that to go on in a nice way. Show me in the Word of God where this says this. Now, I agree with you. There's, some, there's a bunch of music out there that's worthless, that's junk. This stuff out there today, I don't care if it's, it's they ain't country music anymore, but country music and rock music, rap music, all this stuff is garbage. It is. Listen to it. Parents, you need to be listening to what your kid's listening to. This stuff is junk. We have 16-year-olds listening about shooting people up at the Exxon and taking drugs, living in Tuxedo and Lester. There's junk out there, folks. doesn't make me a legalist to believe that. What makes someone a legalist is to say, well, if you listen to this or you go to this place or your preacher does this, or your preacher has a beard, or your preacher ain't wearing a white shirt, you're going to hell. That's legalism. God's not pleased with that. That's false discipleship. That's somebody deciding what will get someone else into heaven, and that's wrong. Man, just plow a row right there. Legalism. The last one is liberalism. Liberalism. That there's no standards... No standards. Anything goes. Anything goes. We have to be careful. Good intention people fall into liberalism. Good intention people fall into liberalism. Now, this isn't Hillary Clinton liberalism. This is 
biblical liberalism, which means trying to be careful here. Women preachers. They mean well. Bible is against that. And we'll get to that. They mean well. Beth Moore means well. Joyce Meyer means well. You say that, you are out of your rabid mind. Woman is evil. They mean well. And, and what happens, is, and it started a long time ago, music is another one. Church, church music, worship music. I believe in traditional worship because I believe traditional worship and hymn music and, and, and hey, there's contemporary songs that I like and there's contemporary songs that honor God as long as their, their, their content is intentional at honoring God. But, but music is one of those things for years, well, they mean well, they mean well, they mean well, and before you know it, it's a, it's a light show. I believe in traditional music because I believe that the contents of that hymn book, wherever one is, is full of theology and full of the Word of God. That people were burdened. John Newton, the man that wrote Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader. And God broke his heart and gloriously saved him. And when he penned the words to Amazing Grace, you go to any church, I don't care, they can sing contemporary music, our music, whatever, and you start singing Amazing Grace and everybody knows the words. Because it's so intentional, it's so theological, it's so biblical. But if we're not careful, things turn into a show. And I've seen southern gospel groups, and all it is is a show. Somebody can sing, and they'll just, I would rather have someone that can't sing, but they sing to the glory of God. I'd, I'd pay to listen to that before I listen to someone that's trying to put on a show. So that's just a side note. But what I'm getting at is, well, they mean well. They mean well. They mean well. And before you know it, you've lost control of something. Music. Leadership. People in positions that don't need to be in positions. You have to have rules and guidelines based on the word of God to guide and protect you. So that when I stand before God as your pastor, he can look at me and I'm not perfect. I'm going to have stuff to answer for. I'm going to have stuff to answer for as your pastor. But I pray and I hope that I can stand before God and that he can look to me and, and he can see that Mountain View Baptist Church tried to seek what we do by the word of God. Not by legalism, not by liberalism. But if we're not careful, we have good intentions. Well, they mean well or they mean this or they mean that. Only God knows what's in someone's heart. Someone wicked gets up here and sings, that's between them and God. Someone wicked gets behind this pulpit, that's between them and God. If I see signs, it's our responsibility to say, hey, this is, this is too much, this is scary, this is concerning. But only God knows their heart. If we're not careful, good intentioned people go that route. Finishing up here, discipleship, your, your natural desires will change. We've seen the forms of false discipleship. What are the marks of biblical discipleship? Well, the first thing is reverence. Reverence. And I will be the first to say, reverence is, is dying a slow death in churches. Just the 
just reverence for the house of God. I mean, growing up, I, I'd, I'd look at my dad, a little funny, but we'd pass a church, even a church that wasn't one that we would necessarily agree with or go to, and he'd turn the radio down. I've heard stories of drunk people that drive down the road drunk on Sunday morning, and they'd pass the church, they'd turn the radio off and take their hat off. Drunk. Drunk people have had more reverence for the house of God than some church people. That's a shame. A mark of biblical discipleship is reverence. That you come in this house and you you think, I'm in God's house. That that would control what I say. That that would make me consider what I think. That that would help guide my wandering eye. Or my seeking ear after gossip. Or that even my actions. Maybe the way I dress. Maybe the way that I say things to somebody. The way that I sing, the way that I speak, the way that I preach, the way that I help someone. Maybe that those things would reflect Christ. Biblical discipleship is reverence to God and to his house. Growing to be more like him you will be more reverent. It's Sunday. I grew up. You didn't go eat on Sunday. You didn't, you didn't turn that radio down when you passed by, passed by the church. That's fine. Some things I was taught to do, I don't do. I wear a hat in church. It's God's house. But there's some things that I do to a T. That's the way I was taught. But I've learned that it doesn't mean anything until their convictions to me. And another thing is you may have a conviction that I don't carry, and that's okay. There's things. I know people, tobacco, movies, they, they won't do it. They don't like tobacco. They don't think it's right. Well, that's fine. Preaching on tobacco. Mountain View, you just get me preaching on tobacco. Movies, I know preachers, they don't, they don't go to movies. They have conviction, and that's okay. That's all right. We individually have things that we prefer, we like, we don't like. And if it's out of the heart of reverence to God, individually, that's okay. That's fine. But it's not my job to say, well, Sam's not going to heaven because he don't do something I do. Or have no convictions at all because of grace and love. Ah, Jesus don't care. Jesus cares a lot. These people are like, Jesus never got mad. Jesus never said anything. Are you kidding me? Jesus meant business when he was on this earth. He did. Reverence was one of those things. What did he do to the money changers at the temple? He lost his mind. He run them off. Tossed over tables. I mean, he, he could do that, obviously. But reverence. Discipleship looks like reverence. And you know what? I think we like to have rules and guidelines. I think we like, they tell me, children seek structure. We've got it right here. And in our discipleship, we can grow in our reverence. We grow in moral sensitivity wrongdoing or seeing someone 
you hear stories or you see someone and it feels like they're being dishonest, the closer you, closer you grow to Christ, that will hurt you. It will hurt you. Moral sensitivity. You see society, it will hurt you to see the, the state and the condition of people in society. Moral discontent. Just being unhappy with society. Not because you just want to complain about something, but because it breaks your heart that society is so wicked. That's a form of discipleship. And finally, I promise finally this time, spiritual hunger. You ever get around somebody that's just spiritually hungry? They're just hungry for the Lord. They're hungry for his word. They're hungry for preaching. They're hungry for singing. They're hungry for fellowship. I, I, I felt that in the past month, I promise you. Laid up at home, I felt that. I wanted to be around you. I wanted to hear some music. I wanted to hear some singing. I wanted to hear some preaching, although I have to listen to myself when I'm here. I wanted to be in God's house. I wanted to be around God's people. And I take that as a mark of biblical discipleship. When you see people hungry for God's word, that's somebody that tells me they're walking with him. They're hungry for truth. They're hungry for, for just to tell you how good God is. Let me tell you how good God is. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me stand up and testify. That spiritual hunger, that is a sign of walking with Christ. I'm not always great at it but I want to strive to be that way. I want to strive to desire him. I want to strive to be closer to him. It builds kind of a foundation for some of the things we'll discuss. Different subjects being eternal security, baptism, the local church, the Bible, the King James Version Bible, why we use and believe it. Our prayer lives, witnessing to people, battling sin, biblical stewardship, financial stewardship. That's going to be fun. That's going to be Dave Ramsey with a King James Bible. Just kidding. I've got to learn how to manage money myself first and just get bills all the time. And then learning about what, what does it mean to be a Baptist. I won't. In our community, in our, our county, I want Mountain View Baptist Church members to be the most equipped. People get around Mountain View Church people and they're like, they know their stuff. Sam was telling me about a missionary that, well, I think it was a comedian. I said, wasn't a missionary. I guess it was. But it was a comedian that was talking about, yeah, they, we go on the mission field, we go to Baptist churches. We're looking for lost people. We go to Baptist churches. That's the reputation. The modern church as a whole, not just Baptist churches, have gotten. It's the truth. And I have friends. They're got a few Presbyterian friends and some Reformed friends. Man, they know their stuff. They're reverent church. They're excited about the word. They're excited about truth. They hold God in a high view. And I was, for a long time, I thought, man, them people, sad they're going to hell. Nice people, they're going to hell. We've got to get a grip as Baptist churches. Riding on coattails will get you in trouble. 
I hope that this discipleship time can grow us closer to him and direct us towards his truth and his word.